Nightcrawler Podcast, Monday, January 25th, Episode 3. I'm Tyler Hammer, as always, joined with Colin Davis, and we got another really good episode coming up here for you guys. Great interview today with uh, Harry Mays, obviously. He works with the Flyers, uh, host of multiple podcasts, and radio host on 97.5. Definitely going to be a good one. Going to pick his brain a little bit on the world of broadcasting and journalism. Yeah, and Colin and I were talking off the air that we want to get these podcasts out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, just just so you guys have more to listen to and we get more experience doing this kind of stuff. And Colin, we also have some news about a uh, giveaway, don't we? Do a little Super Bowl giveaway to a lucky person that calls in. Yeah, so what we're going to do, just like last Friday's call-in segment where you guys got to call in and ask us questions, we're going to just make that a recurring segment every Friday because we really enjoy doing that and it'll be a cool thing to do. But this Friday, since it's Super Bowl week, you guys, when you guys call in and ask us your questions in the beginning, leave your score prediction and who you think is going to win, and the winner will win a $15 gift card. But let's leave that for Friday. Now we're going to waste no more time and get right into our interview with Harry Mays. Today we have another very special guest joining us. He's a former host on Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio Station 97.5 The Fanatic, current co-host on The Middle Show and the Swing at the Ding It podcast, Harry Mays. Thank you for coming on, man. Hey, great to be with you guys, man. What's going on today? Um, Mush just got done school. How how'd your show go today? Um, probably better than your school. Um, <laughs> we had a blast today just talking about the NFC and AFC championship games, the whole... Uh, uh, Nick Sirianni arriving in Philadelphia and taking his tour of the uh, Novacare complex. Um, we, we had a lot to discuss today. A lot going on in sports right now. There is a lot going on, especially with the uh, big Super Bowl game next week. You, yeah. got an early, you got an early pick for that? Yeah, it's actually two weeks. They got, they got the off week next week. So, But that's not going to help Eric Fisher, unfortunately, uh, be able to come back and play for the Chiefs. He sustained a... Uh, an Achilles injury later in that game last night, which is a really big loss for Kansas City up front. I I would have taken Can- or Tampa Bay plus the three and a half, but it quickly went to three. So uh, some other people were of like mind. Right now the line's at three. I'm going to you know wait and see where this goes. I don't know if this is going to move off a three or not. That's a tough number to move off of. Uh, but I really, you know, I, I like – both teams are, are, you know, incredible watches. You know, there's so much fun to watch. There's so many great players on both sides of the ball for both squads. I don't necessarily have this connection or this desire and, you know, for Andy Reid to succeed beyond, you know, uh, you know what he's already done. So I don't really care about him winning number two. I'm more interested in, believe it or not, the Tom Brady aspect of it, uh, who's already won six. He, this is his 10th Super Bowl. He goes to the NFC and in one year, you know, transforms Tampa Bay along with Bruce Arians and uh, a couple of other guys that came down there to join him and has already won as many NFC championship games as Aaron Rodgers has in, in his entire career in the NFC. I find that amazing. And I will probably have part of me that's going to be rooting for Tampa Bay for that aspect for his sheer greatness to be increased, and also for Bruce Arians, who I love, uh, going back to his Temple days. And I, I just think that he's a, a super fun guy. He's an interesting character that 
The league needs more guys like him in that regard, and he's a great football coach. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good storylines on both sides, you know, whether if Mahomes yeah. wins two two and three years or Brady, you know, Brady just making it to his tenth Super Bowl in general. That's that's very impressive within itself. But you know, we had Martinez on last Wednesday, and like me, he's obviously a very big hockey guy, and he said you like to mess with him about that a little bit. But he also said you're a pretty big puck guy yourself. Is that true? You a closet hockey fan? Yeah, I like hockey. I'm not a closet hockey fan. It's just that I'm not a Flyers fan per se. You know? <laughs> um, I enjoy the league and I enjoy a lot of different teams and players and uh, you know. But I just enjoy the sport of hockey, which I find kind of interesting. There's guys here in Philadelphia that are big Flyer fans and they enjoy hockey, but once the Flyers are out of it or if the Flyers aren't any good, they don't they don't give a shit about the league, <laughs> which I find really bizarre. Like either you like hockey or you don't. Like I watch the, the the Stanley Cup playoffs, no matter if St. Louis is playing Winnipeg, you know, I'm going to watch yeah. some of that game and I'm going to follow it all the way through to the finals, regardless of where the Flyers are. I always find that found that pretty funny because Philly is a pretty big hockey town as far as their their adoration for their NHL team. But once their NHL team is out of it, most of them check out. Yeah, I, I I think hockey easily has the best playoffs. So I, I oh, find yeah. it I find it easy to easy to watch no, no matter who's playing. So Colin and I are at the high school level, and it's a position where we've not really made a name for ourselves yet, and we're heading into college. And we always find it interesting to pick our guest brains and just find out how you guys got into the position that you find yourselves in. And obviously, at the high school level, you see a lot of students who who aspire to be in a position that someone like yourself may find yourself in in the broadcasting world. And when so when you were growing up and going through high school, was radio journalism broadcasting like always the route you wanted to go down or was it more of a passion that you developed over time? Well, radio um, wasn't really sports radio hadn't existed yet uh, the way we know it today or not even close when I was in high school. I, I was in high school in 79 to 83. So sports radio didn't really come into its own and really even start until the late, late 80s. Uh, with the fan and WIP and then it branched out across the country because you know it became so successful in those hotbed uh, northeastern markets but so radio wasn't one of the things that I was thinking about Uh, but sports journalism was like being a sports writer was something that I aspired to when I was in high school because I knew I was never going to be big enough fast enough or strong enough you know to play the sports that I enjoyed watching um, you know I was never going to be able to do it myself, you know? So I was yeah. just like one of the, well, you know, I want to be attached to it. So maybe I'll be a sports writer. And I was pretty good, uh, you know, with words and, and things like that. So I, I, you know, that was always in the back of my mind, but then I went to college and my dad who was paying for college, well, he wasn't paying that much because I went to Shippensburg back in the early eighties and it was cheap as hell. It was like probably $3,000 a year, literally to go to school, uh, which was the biggest bargain in the country. So, but he was paying the freight and he told me that, you know, forget about that. You need to get a business degree. Um, So I went and I enrolled as a business student. You know, I didn't really have a major yet, but I was, and, you know, going towards a business bachelor's in business administration. And shortly thereafter, I had quit running cross country in college because it was just, it wasn't as much fun as it was in high school where I was pretty good at it. And I found a fraternity. And that started a long slide downward where it would eventually take me out of Shippensburg uh, (laughs) because they didn't want me anymore after three years of drunken debauchery. 
and mayhem, I flunked out of Shippensburg with no degree and about 56 credits to my name. So that really screwed my dad because he had paid for three years of college and it didn't really go anywhere. And during the, the, the year off, which was 86, I was like, you know, I got to get back in school because I worked a couple of odd jobs that I, you know, I was just like, I don't want to be doing this kind of stuff for the rest of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I just didn't want to do it. And I was like, you know, rededicated myself or actually dedicated myself to, you know, being somewhat of a student. And I went to community college, took 18 credits, went down and interviewed with the dean at Temple University. He told me what I needed to do to get in. So I went back and did it, come down and I, I you know, um, enrolled at Temple on a probationary status for one semester where I took six business classes and got A's and B's in all of them. And away I went. And within two years, including a summer, I graduated with a degree in finance. OK, with a 3.4 grade average, nowhere close to what. I wanted to do as far as being a sports writer. And during that time, I kind of abandoned the idea because I was thinking, hey, what are the chances that I'd ever really be able to do that anyway? I'm not being trained to do it. So, you know, forget it. But during that time at Temple, I interviewed John Chaney for a project I was doing for a marketing class. And it was uh, on Prop 48. And I had to, it was basically, I had to market Prop 48 in this research paper. And there was nobody at the time, Proposition 48, you can look it up, was a big deal back then as far as, you know, college kids getting into college, you know, from disadvantaged backgrounds and, you know, through sports and so forth. It was a really interesting topic. And Cheney was at the forefront of it with John Thompson then at Georgetown. So I arranged for a, a sit down with John Cheney. And I was a huge Temple Hoops fan. I had season tickets at McGonagall Hall you know, that first year, it was 1987. They were great. Mark Macon had arrived and, you know, they eventually became the number one team in the country that year. And, you know, won like 32 games or something ended up getting beaten the elite eight. But long story short is during that season, I interviewed John Chaney for two and a half hours in his office about what was supposed to be prop 48. I got as much info out of him in 20 minutes on prop 48 that we spent the next, you know, close to two hours watching game film. So I'm sitting there breaking down, watching him break down game film of North Carolina, who they eventually would have to go down and play at the Dean Dome in a couple of weeks. And they ended up beating him on national television. And he, and I'm remembering, I'm, I'm sitting there watching him, you know, telling me how he's going to beat him. And it was, it was the most awesome two and a half hours I'd ever spent in my life. Right. And yeah. uh, I walk out of the, the office and his, assistant is, is sitting at the desk and it's a guy and he goes yo man um that was good stuff in there i was you know kind of eavesdropping on you like what paper are you from and i'm like well i'm not from a paper i'm a student here at school and he's like oh man you know wow sorry and i walked out of there thinking like wow man that guy thought i was with a newspaper <laughs> like maybe you know maybe i shouldn't abandon this whole thing just yet um so that kind of gave me a little bit of a, a an idea like wow you know maybe i could do this kind of thing but long story short i graduated with a degree, a degree in finance and went through some other jobs and you know sales banking you know all kinds of stuff and made a good amount of money decent amount of money but i really wasn't enjoying it and by the late 90s i decided you know sports radio was huge by then i decided to enroll at the connecticut school of broadcasting and i went there on the night course and I think the tuition was about seven grand then for the four month course. And 
you know, went through it, graduated and started doing a show where me and two other guys would rent time on a radio station down in South Jersey. We'd rent an hour or two every Sunday and go and do a show. And we had no idea what we were doing. Um, we had no idea if anybody was listening. But it didn't matter because, you know, we were I'm starting to get reps and I was starting to make tapes of what I was doing. And I was sending the tapes around along with me doing a sports update, which was like a two minute thing, you know, which is a way to get your foot in the door back then. Mm -hmm. And I sent them all over the country and I got one guy that, that got back to me in Clemson, South Carolina. And he calls me up and he's the Southern guy. And he's just like, Hey man, listen to your tape. Sounds great. Uh, you know what, you know, I, I want to get to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And he starts telling me about all this stuff that he's doing on this new FM sports station in Clemson in the upstate of South Carolina. And I, I drove down the next day. I drove 12, 12 and a half hours to go see him. And we have an interview and he's taken, you know, interview went great. And he's like, yeah, you'd be doing a midday show like noon to three. And, you know, but now we got, we got to hop in my car. I want to take you around to, to visit, you know, some of the customers. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm like wondering why the heck, why the heck is he doing this today? And I found out about a half hour later after meeting some of these people that I would not only be doing a show, but I'd also be selling, you know, the, the station to these clients, right. And finding more clients. Yeah. So I'd be like, it wasn't just doing a radio show. I was doing a radio show plus selling it to make your money. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, I wish I, I should, it's my bad. I should have gotten this out of you before I jumped in the car and drove all this way. But that's not what I'm interested in. I want to, if I'm going to do a radio show, I just want to focus on doing the show. I don't want to have to be responsible for doing the sales. So with all due respect, you know, see you later. So that was a big lesson for me in that, you know, what's, what's out there. And uh, I quickly learned that, that, you know, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't compromise myself for that job. So a couple months later, the guy, uh, one of the guys that I went to school with at Connecticut school was working up in Allentown on their station, the ESPN affiliate up there. And he was doing a show once a week on like a Wednesday from like four to 6 PM or something. And he said, I'd really like you to do the show with me. And I'm like, okay, it's just you know, one day a week. Yeah. Sounds good. And he said, the only thing is they can't pay you. And I'm like, okay. I said, are they paying you? He goes, yes, but they don't have enough money to pay you. And I'm like, well, all right, I'll still do it. I'll drive up there once a week and do the show with you. I like this guy. I like working with him. So that started out and the show went well. And pretty soon they wanted us to do two days a week from four to six, like Tuesday, Thursday. And I'm like, okay, but now I, you know, I need some money and they still couldn't pay me. I had all these battles with management, which, you know, was sort of a foreshadowing of the rest of my career in radio battling management for money. And lo and behold, they said, all right, we're going to move you to five days a week and we're going to be able to pay you X amount per hour for the show. We can only pay you per hour. And I'm like, all right, good enough. So that's how I started on a you know, weekly basis, doing a five-day-a-week show in Lehigh Valley. And then that branched out into doing Lehigh football because they broadcasted the game. So I was doing the you know, sidelines, pregame, postgame, halftime, all that kind of stuff. And it was great experience. And I know this is a long story, but during doing that show, getting ready for a show on a Friday, I had the daily news open and I saw an advert, not an advertisement, it was like a column of 
that this new station was starting in Philadelphia on the FM, the sports station, or AM. It was starting on AM. It eventually went to FM. And I had a picture of Jody McDonald. And I'm like, I love Jody. Uh, so I'm reading it. It was going to feature Jody McDonald, blah, 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 blah. And it had the name of the general manager of the station. And his name is Bob DeBloy. And I wrote that down. Next, you know, the next Monday, which was after the weekend, I call Bob DeBloy. I tell him who I am. I'm doing a show in the Lehigh Valley you know, for the last two years on this station. And I saw your uh, piece in the daily news. I think I can help you out. And he's like, oh, I think we got everything covered right now. But I said, no, no, you don't. I said, I need to come in. I was Mr. Sales guy. I revolted, reverted back to my sales background and I got a lunch with him. So I go in there and I bring him a pizza, you know, and he didn't even need it, but he gave it to some of the other people at the station, but it got me 10 <laughs> minutes with the guy. And he's telling me about the station like all he really wanted to do was tell me about the station. He didn't really care about me at this point. And I quickly figured that out. He's telling me that, yeah, we're going to have this show on in the morning and then it's going to go to this show. And then he's going to go to Tony Bruno out of Los Angeles and then Tony, Joan, Jim Rome. And then Jody's going to come on at three o'clock. And I said, after he was done, I said, with all due respect, Bob, I said, you're not going to have a local guy on until three in the afternoon. And he goes, yeah, I go, I, I don't mean to be rude, but you're going to be flipping formats in nine months. And I told him that. And he looked at me like he wanted to punch me. And part of me knew that he wanted to punch me. And part of me knew that he knew I was right. I said, I need, you need a, vote, a local presence at least in the morning, starting at six o'clock, doing at least a, every 20 minutes an update on what happened in Philadelphia. Oh, no, 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 man. These national shows are going to do that. I said, bull, they're not going to do. They don't care about Philly. They're going to take the low hanging fruit, easy, you know, national topic and beat it to death. I said, they're not going to talk about Philly unless it's a big, big, big story. You need an update guy. And I slid my DV or CD over to him. I said, listen to that. I'm your update guy. Two days later, he called me and he hired me. And that's I became the update guy, you know, starting on the first day of the station. 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eventually, I got that going to 6 till noon. I'd do updates. And that's what, how I got my foot in the door. And the rest is history. I know it's a long story, but um, a lot happened. Yeah, circling it back around to obviously <laughs> uh, interviewing with uh, Cheney, do you think having a type interview like that, um, for a lot of people, like one of your first, where you kind of, you know, have a moment of realization that, this might maybe the thing do you think a lot of people work like that and that's how they kind of end up pursuing this i, I don't know i mean i you know it, it worked for me um I'm, I'm sure there's sort of you know maybe that sort of that light bulb moment if you will whether it's an interview that you met or did with somebody or a conversation you have with somebody in whatever industry and it kind of you know alerts you to the fact like wow i think you know maybe this is for me you know i, I don't know but that that's what it was that was the big one for me. Um, and when I went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting for their tour before I signed up, they had you read a commercial, you know, in, with headphones on into the microphone and then recorded it. And then you got to hear it back. And I'm like, man, that sounded pretty good. Like, I never thought I had a really good voice or anything, but maybe not for singing, but for radio, my voice sounded pretty good. And that was another awakening where I'm like, yeah, I don't I think I sound pretty good. Um, which I didn't know up until then. So, you know, I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of those aha moments, so to speak, you know, uh, 
for people along the way. Do you believe it's more who you know rather than what you know? That's something that our teacher tells us uh, a lot of. <laughs> yeah, time. I mean, you know, what what you know never hurts. It never hurts to, to know a lot uh, whatever your, you know, focus is going to be. I mean, the more you know, uh, you know, the more research you do on a day. I mean, I'm constantly, you know, reading stuff every day, all day. Um, so I, I never yeah. subscribe to the fact that it's only who you know and not what you know. It's kind of both. I don't know that, you know, I would have gotten anywhere with just what I know. I mean, I got, you know, some lucky breaks along the way and, uh, you know, I made the most of it. Like, you know, when I was given the opportunity to do, you know, a show, a fill-in show um, at night, just, you know, I knew the program director was kind of feeling me out to see how I'd respond. You know, it was sort of like, you know, this is your opportunity. You can't blow it because you don't know that you're going to get another one kind of thing. But, you know, who you know is, is a big factor in, in life. And that's, you know, that's something that you, you, you got to start building a network of people. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't care if it's through summer jobs or through, uh, yeah, internships. internships and all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, make relationships, you know, make an impression upon people that you're a, you're a go-getter and you're, you're a guy that's, you know, going to be a, a what you know guy too, not just some grifter who's here to meet people and be passed up through the line just because he knows, you know, the, the president's, uh, you know, daughter, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And how much, how much of the opportunities you think you're given is based off the, the college you go to? I know you are obviously a heavy advocate for Temple having gone there, but do you, do you believe that the programs are generally the same everywhere and the only thing that's really different with the choice of college is the scenery that surrounds well, the college? Well, the scenery that surrounds the college, but also the alumni base. Like how, going back to the previous thing, how how connected is that alumni base with the student body? You know what I mean? Like where you, mm-hmm. you uh, let's, let's just use Temple as an example. Like I didn't go there for broadcast journalism. I went there for finance, but had I gone there for broadcast journalism, they've got connections throughout the country and people placed in, you know, big time jobs throughout the country, whether it be TV, you know, uh, news media, uh, radio, whatever, where, you know, uh, one of the professors, you're doing a good job and you've shown an interest like they, they'll be like, Hey, you know, you got to meet so-and-so is coming back to speak to the, you know what I mean? Like where you, you yeah. use that interconnectivity of the alumni base. I think that's really a big factor of how good the school is for you. And not, not just like the curriculums are generally pretty much the same, except, you know, a couple of bells and whistles maybe. So it, I think it's a lot of it. How, how do you work the alumni? Around here on the radio, something we actually hear really, really often is about the Connecticut school of broadcasting. And for me, obviously with someone who wants to go into that field, probably Tyler too, it kind of piques our interest. What, how did going there really progress your skill and ability in broadcasting and journalism? Well, it gave me a hands-on approach, you know, to actually doing, you know, using the equipment and, you know, recording shows. And I mean, it's not just radio. It's all, there was all kinds of stuff that you were exposed to. And some of it I wasn't necessarily interested in, but I kind of tried to soak it all up, you know, kind of, like a sponge. I knew what I wanted to do, but 
it gave you a real hands-on approach. Whereas if you go to a regular school, like a regular four-year college or so forth, a lot of it's going to be, you know, theory. You'll get some in-studio stuff, but you're, there's not as much hands-on in a short period of time. Plus, it only takes you four months to go through it. So I thought that was an advantage. But I wouldn't pass up the, the four-year college experience for anything. Like, to me, I did both. And looking back on it, if I had to do it again, I'd probably do both. Compare the School of Broadcasting to working at somewhere like 97.5 in terms of the similarities that it really, really does prepare you for? Um, well, for 97.5, when I started there uh, doing the updates, the way they had me do them, since it was being broadcast during a national show, there was kind of like a window during the commercial break of two minutes that you had to wedge your update into and they didn't have me do it live to start so i had to record them and then utilize this software program that i said i had mastered at connecticut school of broadcasting i lied i didn't master it i was kind of i was not that good at it to be honest with you because i didn't do it enough but i had to learn it like day one i had to get these updates on the air in time if you missed the window like you had to get them into the system 15 to 20 minutes before they aired or they wouldn't air and there'd be nothing but dead air during that two minute spot you get dead air you're gonna get fired so i was under the gun having to sort of feel my way around and really learn this program you know while i'm recording these updates but had i never gone to kinetic school of broadcast there's no way i would have been able to done but i did kind of fudge my way through just you know to say that i knew how to do it really well and i didn't but that's one example you have that pressure on you and you said you kind of have that little thought about like damn like i may get fired if i'm Mm -hmm. not doing my job adequately how long did it take you to truly get comfortable in that new environment and knowing that you have such a large audience uh it took about two to two and a half weeks like for two and a half weeks, I was driving home every day thinking, oh, my God, I might get fired. And then after that, everything, everything settled down. <laughs> so but in radio, you know, there's, you're, you're driving home a lot of times thinking you're going to get fired, whether whether you're doing a show or you're, you know, in production or, or, or whatever. You know, it's it's one of those industries that, you know, people get fired. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just the way it's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about some of the people that were around you that helped you get comfortable that quickly? Um, yeah, Jody. Jody Mack did. He was really good at helping me. And uh, Joe Conklin, actually. I used to record Joe Conklin in the morning because he was working over there at that, at that station at the time before he went back to WIP. And uh, he was a big benefit early on uh, to me. And I'm trying to think, this is a long time ago. This is back, we're talking 05 here. October of 05 is when I started. Um, Jason Barrett, who is a consultant now, he was my program director. He was like my, I want to say my second program director. Because we went through a bunch of program directors until they found Matt Nahigian, who came in and actually stayed there for like 10 years. Um, So they had gone through a couple of different guys. And Jason Barrett was actually the guy who put me on the air first 
going, you know, as a consistent voice on the night show. So he gave me the, my first real opportunity to get on the air. You obviously, you obviously spent a lot of time with 97.5. What was, what would you say the thing that you were most proud of that you were able to accomplish? I was there for 13 years. Yeah. Um, boy, most proud of, I guess. I thought, I thought the midday show with you and Martinez was. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, was the, the thing is, I love doing that show. I did so many different shows with so many different people and they, in, in their own way, they were all great. And I enjoyed, you know, certain aspects of each and every one of them. I think, you know, the Mertidis one was great. The one we did, I did with Bruno though, was, was the one that I think kind of really launched me as to being a mm-hmm. person that people remembered. Um, and that was back, I want to say that was 09 to 2013. And it started when he was still in Los Angeles. We would do the show every day where I was in Philly, he's in L.A. And it's not like you do now where you have like a Zoom connection or a video connection. We didn't have any video connection at the time. So it was just yeah. the two of us, you know, talking over, you know, over uh, down the line over, you know, the microphones. And he's a guy that, you know, talks a lot. Like he never stops. He's, you know, a hundred miles mm-hmm. an hour all the entire show. But I, for some reason, developed a way of working with him where I could get in and get out and say something that was going to move the show along, make it funnier than it already was, or, you know, tweak him to being even better that day. You know, that kind of like, I think that's the most, proud that's the probably the thing that i'm most proud of is working with a guy who you know conceptually could be on the mount rushmore of sports radio hosts if you really boil it down to a couple of guys he's one of them and to be able to work with a guy like that and work with him where it's not like it was never like tony's up here and harry's way down here we were he treated Mm -hmm. me as an equal which i thought was a real big deal Can you talk to me a little bit about your process and your departure with 97.5? Did you feel that there was like more you wanted to do outside the radio station, like what you're doing now with like the podcast and stuff, or were your views just not in sync with what the station? Well, wanted they, they to do wanted me time? to be a part of a, a morning show that they were putting together, and and I'm more than happy to do a morning show. I think that's you know that's really where the where the attention is and the money and you know and and so forth. So I was interested in that, but the role that they wanted me to take was you know, like the third, fourth wheel guy, which I'm okay Uh with doing if it's a big enough show and a a show that I thought was really going to explode and you're going to be able to pay me what it's going to cost to get me up at three in the morning every day, because it's not only me, it's like, you know, the kind of ruin, you know, kind of puts your household, you know, in, in tumult, like my, you know, my wife wasn't too interested in being awakened at 3 a.m., You know, for me to be getting in the shower and getting going, you know what I mean? Like there was a lot more to it than just me. Yeah. And uh, so I, there was a number that I needed and I wanted them to guarantee it and they wouldn't guarantee it. So I left. Um, so it wasn't really a direction. It was more or less, you know, finances. It wasn't like I was disrespected or anything like that. It's just that, you know, if you wanted me to do this, I'm going to need this. And if you can't give me that, well, then I'm going to go do something else. I had no idea what that would be at the time, you know, but uh, the way it's evolved has been kind of cool because I'm doing a lot, a lot of different type of stuff and 
being able to talk about a lot of different things that maybe I otherwise wouldn't be able to, um, you know, five days a week in Philadelphia. So it I, all in all, it's been really cool. Yeah, you touched on the idea of the morning show, something that you would have enjoyed doing. But what some people really don't understand is you're going to bed at like, like you touched on, you're going to bed at like probably seven o'clock, I'm assuming. And you're waking up at two. Your whole life revolves around it. Is what you're doing now with like the podcast and stuff, do you enjoy doing that more than what you're doing on the mainstream? I I don't know if it's because I enjoy it more. It's just the thing I, I do enjoy more is the fact that we're not tied to a certain topic that you have to bang out for four hours to try to get the phones to ring. Like that's, that's the thing that to me is unfortunate about midday and afternoon and nighttime radio in a local market outside of the morning. The morning really doesn't rely on phone calls. They're more, it's more of an entertainment vehicle, uh, which I kind of find more uh, up my alley anyway. Uh, to just sit there and day after day after day have to come up with something that's going to get the phones to ring gets tedious, you know, um, it, it just does, yeah, it wears on you. And I never liked, I was never one of these guys cause my, my old boss, Matt used to get so mad at me for a lot of things, but this was one that he'd hear me bringing it one day or two days a week and, and be like, man, why can't you do that five days a week? Why can't you just create that? I go, Matt, because it's not, I'm not creating anything that's like what i'm giving you is real stuff like i'm not going to create a character or say i'm going to take this side of the argument today just so we can get like i hated doing that so um you know the contrived arguments like you see on some of these tv shows on espn and stuff the, the debate shows you know where they get one guy to say one thing the other guy to disagree and say the other like after you do that for a while it beats you down I'm more interested in entertainment type of radio these days. You talk about your wife, obviously, uh, not wanting to be awake at 3 a.m., just like I feel <laughs> like any normal person would feel. Um, is the way your family going to be affected something that once you started getting mainstream radio jobs and different positions, something you really took into account all the time? Yeah, well, I was lucky, though, because I didn't I never had kids like if I would have had kids. Things might be different. You know, it's hard to take a job, you know, when you're in your mid 30s, you know, late 30s or whatever, making a career change and making a big adjustment in income if you've got kids. And I didn't I didn't have that. So um, that was one thing. The other one is and maybe this is where you're going, like. A lot, there's a lot of guys in my business that move around a lot. They're sort of, uh, you know, in this market for two or three years, and then they're in a totally different market for two or three years. And they just sort of seem to keep on moving around. Like, to me, I would never do that. I could never do that, you know, with my wife. My wife makes really good money. She's got a great career. I would never uproot her for what could be a two or three year stint in uh, Dallas, you know, for example, or whatever. Um, so I'm not one of those guys. Uh, I think you pretty much need, um, you know, a different type of household in order to, to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, there's that, like, I, I've kind of found a home here and now I'm able to do all my other stuff here while not necessarily being attached necessarily to just the Philadelphia market. So I'm kind of getting the best of both worlds, but yeah. It does make a difference depending on your family situation. 
And you also touched on the the point counterpoint thing with like the mainstream yeah. shows like First Take and Undisputed and stuff like that. We talked to Martinez about that last week, and he was a heavy advocate that he's highly against it. I mean, there's a video where they're like, "Who do you want to take the last shot?" And Kellerman says Iguodala yeah. over Steph Curry. Like, you right? Just can't, you can't be that stupid. So, what's your what's yeah, your I'm take exactly on like stuff with like Jason that? On that, and and Kellerman, like you know, he's getting paid a lot of money to do that. Okay. So God bless him. You know, he's, he's probably making, you know, a couple million, million and a half, $2 million, whatever it is. If you're going to pay me $2 million, I might, you know, have to resort to Iguodala over Steph Curry too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not, I'm not here. Yeah. I'm not here to bash the guy, yeah. but it is patently stupid. A lot of the things that they say. And to me, I can't kind of look myself in the mirror after a show saying, wow, I just spent, you know, four hours of a radio show arguing that, we would rather have Andre Iguodala on this team than Steph Curry. You know what I mean? But that's some of the stuff you have to do with all that contrived stuff. So uh, I, I'm just fortunate right now that I don't have to do it. Is that possibly a reason why you, yes, like, say ESPN did come at you with an offer. Is that something you may actually take into consideration rather than just jumping to, obviously, a national stage? Wait, come again? Like ESPN comes to me? Yeah, for an if, offer. if ESPN came to you with an offer and gave you that type of platform, is that something mm-hmm. you would consider that you know you're gonna have to act possibly a little phony? Yeah, well, for that kind of money, it depends on the kind of money. I might, you know, take a year or two being, you know, somewhat phony to make the money, uh, because at this point in my career, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's any any of those days in the future. But to, your hypothetical is a good one, except. I don't think ESPN would ever hire me. I am way too risky for them. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily fit that corporate culture up there anymore these days. Uh, but yeah, if, if somebody said, you know, let's say it's Fox, they said, Hey, we, we want you to, we're going to pay a million and a half. You're going to be cowherd sidekick and you're going to have to, you know, deal with his ridiculous takes. I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> How long's the contract? Two years. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> speaking of speaking of like takes and like opinions do you think this is the best quarterback matchup in a super bowl history um i got a couple other ones down here so like you got brad yeah i saw that i saw those yeah i saw those uh you know the aaron Rodgers, ben roethlisberger 10 years ago or so was pretty darn good too you had breeze against manning uh, years ago, um, you know, if, if Tom Brady, I mean, he's 43 years old, my God, if he was in his 30s, I'd probably say yes. It, the, the, the reason why I may say no on based upon what we're going to see in two weeks is he's 43 years old. I mean, you know, he's he's yeah. great and he's the best ever without question. But he's not able to do some of the things, a lot of the things that he was able to do 10 years ago. Who is? So if he was like 36 against Mahomes right now, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Um, but maybe maybe he'll surprise me, uh, you know, on, in two weeks and have a, an unbelievable game. He threw a couple couple up for grabs against Green Bay in the second half. It was he was fortunate that their defense was so was so good and got him to, you know, got him three and out uh, two of the times or uh, things might be different. Um, you talked about real quick that Green Bay defense, obviously in the second half, really controversial call to kind of ice the game. Did I personally disagreed with it? Did you disagree with it? Well, I had I bet Tampa Bay, so no, I was all. <laughs> uh, but 
it was crazy because they were allowing a lot of contact, a lot of hand fighting and, and so forth during the game. Um, the, I think the reason that that was called was because it was in the middle of the field. He, he grabbed the jersey and you could see it. And there was nobody else really around them. You know, they weren't in a crowd. It was like, here's this guy out in the middle of the field. And if it weren't for him being, you know, having his jersey pulled, he probably gets his hands on that ball. And it just became so out in the open. I think the guy had to call it. It seemed like yeah. they were letting them play the like the entire game, though. Yeah. So I don't know. It seemed it seemed like maybe you don't call that in that situation. But when you look back at the the picture of yeah. him just grabbing the, he has a handful of shit. I know. You, I know. You got it, it, you got like I said, it. it was just in the middle of the field too. And I think you know if this is down the along the sideline and the two guys are battling and going for the ball. You know, probably nothing gets called, but in the middle of the field, he, he, you know, he was beaten. And the only thing you do then is you try to grab the guy and he did. And it was pretty, it was pretty obvious. The only, you know, they had let a couple of other things go. In fact, I think on the one interception, Tampa, uh, the defensive back grabbed the receiver's shoulder a little bit and kind of turned him around before he picked the ball off. Uh, I definitely, as someone like who plays, like, I just feel like, that when you do that, you're putting the players at an automatic disadvantage because obviously they probably are discussing on the sideline or at halftime, like, hey, the refs are letting us get away with X, Y, and Z. So then uh-huh. going into th- that last drive, you're saying, well, I can do X, Y, and Z. They're not going to call it. So I feel like you're just... right. I-, I always hate the notion for any sport that the rules are so like, there's this weird notion that the rules kind of change in that last two minutes last clutch time i always didn't like that right it's like a you know a hockey ref swallowing the whistle in the you know in overtime or whatever um but yeah and you you know that the players are talking about that kind of stuff and did you notice there i don't think there was one offensive holding called on any of the offensive lines in that game now when does that ever happen so i mean if you're an Never. offensive lineman you're like man this is a we're late in the third quarter here, they haven't thrown a flag on any of us or them. I'm going to grab, you know, I'm going to grab this guy, keep my hands inside, but I'm going to grab a hunk of Jersey. So sticking the topic to football, we will switch a little bit to the Eagles who are not playing in two weeks. Um, But how do you feel about the coaching staff hires that Sirianni has brought in? I know you probably talked about this all day, but to (laughs) me, to me, it seems like the Colts didn't want Wentz. It seemed like the Colts didn't want Wentz. So we decided to bring the Colts to him. I don't know if it's so much that they didn't want Wentz. I don't know that Wentz was, is really tradable at this point, unless he writes a check. And I don't know that he's going to do that, but I think this was, you know, Jeffrey Lurie has this weird kind of way of doing things where he didn't want to have to get rid of Andy Reid, but he knew it was time. So eventually after he had his little flirtation with Chip Kelly, it's like, well, how can I get, Andy Reid back. Well, I can't get Andy Reid back, but I can get back one of his, you know, assistants that he keeps promoting and telling me how great he is, even though nobody else wanted to interview Doug Peterson at the time, this will be my way of getting Andy Reid back. And now he's deemed it time to get rid of Doug because Doug and Carson, uh, you know, have this fractured relationship apparently. So Carson never would have gone off the rails had Frank Reich still been here. So let's see if I can go get a little bit of Frank Reich back. That's the way I kind of looked at it. Uh, we're talking about like assistants, you know, how they just kind of go through the ranks. It feels like that's someone that we always tend to bring in. But today it came out or yesterday it came out 
that one of our assistants, Deuce, obviously mm-hmm. a fan favorite, was leaving, came out today. He signed with the Lions to be their running back coach and assistant head coach. I was I was high on Deuce. I didn't think he should exactly be the head coach, but I figured that they would keep <clears> him <throat> around because he was a, a player favorite, someone that was really respected, clearly around the league. I saw Malcolm Jenkins talk about how respected he is inside the locker room. Um, do you think he either should have been head coach or he should have at least been retained on the staff? Well, I kind of find it interesting that he, outside of here in Philly, when they've had openings where he's been, you know, interviewed, quote unquote, interviewed, nobody else has interviewed him. You know, I think he did. did he he might have gotten an opportunity to interview at the University of South Carolina years ago. For, not for the head coaching job, I think. I think it might have been a coordinator's position because that's where he went to college. But outside of that, I don't know that, you know, outside of him being a respected player and a good soldier here in the Eagles organization, I don't know how widespread the deuce coaching um, power really is. I I don't know because he went to Detroit now and he's kind of gotten sort of a same type of position that he seems to have had here in Philadelphia. It doesn't seem like he got really elevated there either. It's just that he's out of here and now he can, you know, not be sort of held captive to Jeffrey Lurie. And if he's going to get a, a, a coordinator's job and eventually a head coaching job, he'll have the chance to do it sort of on his own. And I respect that. Uh, but yeah, you're always going to have players stepping up for guys uh, throughout the league, guys that they liked. He obviously had a lot of cachet in that locker room. And that's something that this new coach is going to have to mend. Uh, I don't, I, you know, hopefully there's not a problem there. Um, but, you know, it apparently came down to Carson Wentz and him, where they didn't think that he, you know, would have been able to coach Carson Wentz. That's, the, that's what I took from it. And I don't know how seriously Jeffrey Lurie was really uh, about giving Deuce the opportunity someday to be the head coach. I think he might have been sort of stringing him along a little bit, to be honest. So I'm kind of glad Deuce got out of here and can, uh, you know, try to, elevate his career somewhere else yeah i'm the i'm the same as colin i don't think hey not right now the position produces in philadelphia yeah Yeah. but you know you wish him luck where where he goes and you know hope hope the best for him so before we let you go we want to do a little segment we we like to call boomer bust so i'll get i'll give you a prediction and you have to tell me whether you're not whether or not you think the prediction is going to be a boom or a bust so if you think it's going to happen or not so i know you're a golf guy i'll start it off Tiger Woods wins another major before um, the over. I'm going to say bust. Uh, you know, yeah, I'd love it. You know, really? I'd love to see him win a couple more majors. Uh, but I just don't know. He's just had another back surgery. Um, you know, his the sand in the hourglass of his spine is is dwindling, and he's doing anything he can, uh, you know, to stay able to play to try to win more. And, and he wants to win number eighty three as far as just a regular win. I think he'll get that. I think he'll win a tournament and he'll pass uh, uh-huh. Sam Snead uh, for the record number of wins, but I don't think it's going to be a major. If, he, if, if it is a major, his best chance is at the masters and or at the open championship uh, in, in Europe, because that's kind of a grab bag kind of tournament and the masters. He just knows that golf course as far as us open or PGA, I'd say no, but, if you're going to say boom or bust, I'll say bust on the major. Assuming he's there in the first round, 
The Eagles go with Devontae Smith at number six. Who? All right, I got to ask you, is the kid from LSU already off the board? No. Yeah. No, let's, I'm let's, taking say, the LSU let's say they're both there. Yeah, I am. Now, are really? you saying you personally would take him or the Eagles are going to take him? Oh, I don't know what the, the Eagles would probably take a uh, – a cornerback, uh, you know, or, or, or a guard. Or a guard but if it's me, if I'm in that room, I'm banging the table. If both of those wide receivers are there, uh, get me the kid from LSU because I think he's going to be a surefire stud. I think the kid from Alabama is great too. I just kind of worry about his 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 body being drafted that high. Like to be top seven. Um, I know it happened in the NBA where where was Steph Curry drafted seventh or eighth? I yeah, think. and there was a lot of talk about it. You know, is his body able to deal with the day to day rigors of the NBA? And he's proven everybody, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt that he can. This is football; it's a little bit different. I I I would love to take that kid, but I don't know that I'm taking him at six. Flyers make the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, how did Martinez answer this? Oh, okay. Well, we didn't. We didn't um, different questions, but well, I'm yeah. Now, what is the Eastern yes, the though. Eastern Conference now with the way they have these divisions? So it's a little different. Right. So the Flyers are obviously top in the hardest division. In, right? So what they what they do is, yeah, top four get in, and then they play each other, and then the winner of the four team tournament makes to the okay, conference so finals. So one from each division will be in East, Northeast, whatever this division is. Yeah, right. the mass well, mutual or whatever it's called. Despite yeah. what happened with Boston, I think over the long haul, they that Boston's kind of old and they'll wear down a little bit. Uh, Pittsburgh isn't very good. Uh, the Islanders are really good. Yeah, you know, I'll say they'll get to the finals. I don't know that they win it. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> you Flyer fans will take anything. <laughs> so uh one of our last two in a bounce back year under sirianni do the eagles win the division next year Uh, i'm gonna say no yeah i'm gonna say no i I think you know i don't know what happens with dallas with dak coming back um it's kind of a screwy organization too but they do have some talent i think the coach is kind of a boob um, but they have talent. The Giants are kind of steady. I don't, you know, they'll get Saquon back, but still, I don't see. I'm actually looking for the other team down in in Washington. If they get a quarterback, and there's going to be a bunch available for them, whether it be for trade or free agent acquisition, um, that defense is going to do nothing but get better. And they're, you know, they'll they'll get yeah, better definitely. skill positions around it. Their running game. Uh, you know, fell off a little bit due to due to some injuries. But I that team to me, they've solidified the coach. The coach has separated himself from the owner, and you know, by getting rid of Haskins the way he did, that was him putting his foot down and telling Dan Snyder, "While I'm here, this is my team," and I think that's a big deal. No. You wouldn't roll with Heineke next year? <laughs> no. To Washington? I mean, I, I think that guy was, <laughs> was he getting his master's degree or something? He was about ready to go do something else. And he's yeah, had a nice little, yeah. uh, a little, you know, surge that he can talk about with his grandkids for, you know, till he's 85. But no, I think, I think he's, uh, his days are numbered. 
So if not the Flyers, who wins the? This isn't Boomer Bust, but who wins the next championship? I'm going to say the Sixers. Yeah. Even with even with the top yeah that Nets team, I don't Nets know. I don't know Lakers about that, that whole squad. That that seems a little flimsy to me. Uh, you know, and the Bucks. I think the Bucks are beatable. I think the Sixers match up really well with the Bucks. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but I think if you're going to say you know which Philly team is going to win. They keep this squad together and keep adding as they can to it for the next two, three years. I think they get one done. Really? Yeah, I think the Phillies are an underdog for that, too. Yeah, I, I just like the direction they're mm-hmm. going. They got a lot of young guys. If they can get JT back, and you know, you have Harper on the team. And yeah. Nola, you know, wow. Anything's possible with, with the Phillies. And plus, you, you don't have teams like the right. Nets. You don't have super yeah, teams I'm... like that. And then hockey, hockey's weird where there's just so many teams that can be just – you go on a I stretch know. and then yeah. you're just insane. So, All right. Okay. So don't sleep I on the Phillies even though they haven't made the playoff. I baseball, to be honest with you, anymore. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Stop it. Stop I don't it. think many do these Come days. on. You know, you know what I did the other day? Uh, you guys are going to laugh at this. Uh, Saturday – was it Saturday? Or, no, I think it was – Oh, I think I saw this on your uh, your tweet. Yes, you it was the, Sunday. The during, uh, I was thing. on the treadmill yeah. at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon because I knew the football was starting at 3. And I'm looking around for something to watch, and there's really nothing on. And I go to the MLB Network, and they got the 1971 All-Star game on. Boom. I was locked in for over an hour watching this. It was freaking phenomenal. Like, I remember <laughs> all these guys. Like, I watched them as kids. But that, that to me, Roberto Clemente was in there. I mean, Jim Palmer. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. It was. Did they uh, do that because it was Hank regarding Aaron, Hank or... Aaron? Yeah. 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 Gotcha. All right. Well, we want to thank you, Harry, for coming on. It's been a good time. Uh, let oh yeah. Know where they can find you stuff. Tu on Twitter and Instagram. Same thing. And uh, swing it and ding it is the podcast. Uh, golf related. You can find it on all uh, Apple Podcasts and iHeart Media platforms. And the gambling podcast is called Follow the Action, and you can get that anywhere podcasts are available. You thanks got a lot, it, man. All right, thanks See for coming on, man. All right, that will about do it for this episode of Casey's Pod. A couple thanks we'd like to give before we head out. Advisor, teacher for the night car, Kevin Monero, JoJo, Hannah, Connor, all the others, the staff, everyone else behind the scenes. Another special thanks to Harry Mace for coming on and joining us. Find Colin and I's articles and everyone else's on the staff at www.nightcrier.org and check out Nightcrier on Twitter at NPNightcrier along with on Instagram at NPNightcrier. That's NPNightcrier on both platforms and remember to head over to www.nightcrier.org to read the latest news. Check out the podcast on Twitter at KC Podcast One. That's KC Podcast One. If you have a question you would like Colin and I to answer on Friday's edition of KC's Pod, head over to www.nightcrier.org and drop a question in the comment section below or email us at kc.podcast21 at gmail.com and we will try to get to it on Friday's edition of the Nightcrier Podcast. Thanks to Anchor. Listen to us on any place you get your podcasts Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, etc. Or listen to us over there with our friends at Anchor at www.anchor.fm slash Casey's Podcast. That's www.anchor.fm slash Casey's Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.